Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm so happy you joined us today. We have recently started a series in the Gospel of John called Behold Your God. And we're going here today to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. All right, so we're going to talk today about barriers to believing in Jesus. You know, if you think of the word believe, it's quite popular for titles to songs and movies. Here's just a few examples of what I mean. You may remember the song by Rod Stewart, A Reason to Believe. I like that song. You may also remember the song by Journey, Don't Stop Believing. Neil Diamond wrote a song that he didn't even remember when he wrote it called I'm a Believer. And he couldn't remember when he wrote it, but it became one of his greatest songs and it was made popular by the group in the 60s, The Monkees. You may remember that if you're that old. Well, the world talks a lot about belief and believing. And as we mentioned last week in our episode, the concept of belief and believing in Jesus Christ is the key central concept and reason that John has in writing the Gospel of John. But what is it that holds people back from believing? And more importantly, who frees them up that they might believe? Well, today in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, we're going to meet two people, and they are just like people that we are and we know today. You might be one of these. You may know somebody who's just like one of these people. One of them might be considered to be one of the lowest of the low, and certainly she was at a low point in her life without a doubt. The other person might be considered the highest of the high. He was well-known, well-connected, well-placed, and no doubt wealthy. Well, let's go to John chapter 4, and let's read verses 1 through 3. So take your Bibles, if you have that, or if you're using Bible Gateway, as I often do, go to John chapter 4, and we're going to start right there in verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So we see here the wisdom of the Lord. It definitely was not his time to be arrested and tried, crucified, killed and buried and rise again. That will happen very soon in the Gospel of John, but it's not his time yet. So he prudently leaves Judea and he begins making his way northward back toward his headquarters in Galilee. Now, uh, that just shows how wise the Lord Jesus Christ is because he realizes if John was starting to be considered public enemy number one in some ways, like a threat in some ways to the rulers of the Jewish people and the rulers at the temple and so on, then certainly now uh, Jesus' popularity had far eclipsed that of John the Baptist because John had pointed everyone to Jesus. So now Jesus knows that he's now public enemy number one. So he prudently leaves that area and begins to go back toward Galilee. Now let's go to verse 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. Now before we go any farther, I've got to give you a little background here so that what we're going to read in a few minutes makes even more sense to you. When somebody was in Jerusalem or in Judea and they wanted to go north to the other end of Israel, the most direct route was through a, a region, an area called Samaria. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this. You can research it online and in your Bible. 
Samaria basically was the part of Israel that had rebelled against God, formed their own pagan religion with a mixture of Judaism in it as well. It involved child sacrifice. It was a brutal, horrific religion, and it perverted the Word of God and the truth of God. And uh, basically, they were conquered. So they were taken captive. But the captors of this this part of Israel that rebelled, it was it actually was Israel by that time, but Judah remained faithful to God for longer. The conquerors of Samaria, which, uh, as I said, had, had been called by this time Israel uh, when all this occurred, they brought people from all over the world and interspersed them and intermingled them with the uh, Jews that still remained there, even though many were taken captive. So this was a completely mixed up, quasi-pagan Jewish religion that they, they invented, basically, and it was a completely politically and religiously mixed up area. And so the bottom line is, a good, conservative, Old Testament-believing Jewish person to keep himself clean ceremonially would never go through Samaria. I mean, he would go, he would take the 240 bypass around this area or, or uh, I-75 uh, runs through Atlanta. So you would take, uh, man, I can't even remember what the ring is that goes around Atlanta. What is that? Um, 285. You would take 285 around Atlanta so you wouldn't have to go through Samaria and be uh, ritually or spiritually unclean. Well, here, Jesus says, uh, John says about Jesus that he must needs go through Samaria. Now, I want this to hit you and register with you. We're talking Crips and Bloods here. We're, We're talking Hatfields versus McCoys. We're talking North versus South, like in the American Civil War. Yankees versus Red Sox. We're talking Alabama versus Auburn, Georgia versus Georgia Tech. Now, something of what I said is going to ring home with you. Manchester United versus everybody, for all you soccer fans out there. So you get the idea. This was a blood grudge. Jesus says, I got no problem going through there because I'm going to go see someone, actually two people who need me, the woman at the well and the nobleman that I mentioned a few moments ago, that government official. So Jesus goes the most direct route from Judea straight north through Samaria on his way to Galilee and a a Old Testament believing Jew of his day would have gasped at that thought. But Jesus is God and he's out to reach people. So he goes where they need him most. Verse 5. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So this is an ancient area. goes way, way back. Verse 6. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. You know, two strikes and you're out. She wasn't a a man. She was a woman, so she felt like she would be looked down on. And she wasn't from the Jewish nation. She was a Samaritan. Yuck. That's how they looked at it. So she's a woman and, and from Samaria. Then cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city, under the city, to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, 
thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that saidest thou truly. The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. So let's just stop right there. Jesus reaches out to a lady, we don't know her name, I'm going to give her a nickname, Miss Lonely Heart. In her heart and mind, and probably among the people in her village and her neighbors, she was a five-time loser at love. Her relationships had gone from bad to worse and, and worse than worse, steadily downhill. For years and years, maybe when she first married and maybe even on the second and maybe even the third marriage, her heart told her that happiness is a husband. But now she can say, nope, not true. She was a little short on belief right now, if you catch my drift. She probably felt resentment and she felt it toward her because she had been affecting a lot of people in that town and a lot of in-laws and outlaws, if you know what I'm saying. There was anger in her heart, probably, and there was anger toward her. Certainly, she must have felt some sense of shame, and others may have tried to put that on her. She felt distrust because, you know, often throughout my life, as I've read this story and heard it preached and taught on, I've always just kind of had the assumption that there was something wrong with her. And, and maybe there was, I don't know. We really don't know. But it's also possible that she had tried to always be the right kind of wife, do the right kind of thing, and yet her marriages had fallen apart. What an embarrassment, what a shame to bear when it was not her fault. Now maybe it was her fault. Maybe that's how she went from husband to husband, that may have been someone else's husband. We don't really know, but she certainly had a reputation. Everybody in her town knew who she was. And no doubt she felt hatred for some of them, and many of them probably felt hatred right back at her. Now, pastors and attorneys and doctors know about the phrase, a presenting problem. A presenting problem is when someone goes in the doctor's office and they present an initial problem. But many times, a doctor will realize that that's just the problem they're telling them about right now. There's probably really a much deeper, much more serious problem. And you've got to work through the presenting problem to get at the real problem. Jesus does that right here. Because when she begins to ask for the living water, now he closes in to bring her to belief in himself. 
So he does this with a question. Or, or rather, he tells her, Go call thy husband and come hither. Now, Jesus already knew the truth, but he wanted to see would she, he wanted to get her to come to the truth. You follow that? Verse 17, The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, for I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. So now they're getting near the truth. And notice here that the woman does a very common thing. She's not ready to admit the truth yet because there's way too much attention on the truth about her. So she, she changes the subject. She, she does what I call a moral evasion because now she says, sort of like just completely out of the flow of the conversation, the woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. So she's changing the subject. And she brings up a theological diversion. So there was moral evasion, then a theological diversion. These are two of the barriers to belief in Christ. But the Lord does not give up here, so he's going to hang with this until she comes to faith. So she says in verse 20, Our fathers worship in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem, nor yet at Jerusalem, worship the Father. So she tries to evade his true aim that she needed Christ. She was dodging and weaving because it was uncomfortable for all the attention of God to be fo focused on her life and her sin and her need. So she throws out the theological diversion. Some of you actually are doing that yourself. You're not yet believers in Christ, and you're saying things like, what about the people who've never heard? Look, there are great and sufficient answers to that in the Bible, all right? But you and I both know you don't care about that. You throw that out to try to get people off of the subject of your need for Christ. People will argue about the Bible. They will argue about Noah's Ark, which I know was real. I have no doubt about that. But they argue about all these things because it gets them off the hot seat relating to their sin and their need for Jesus Christ. But the Lord stays with it here. I mean, He's giving us a clinic. Those of us who are already Christians... He's giving us a clinic on how to be loving and patient in our witness for Him. So let's see what happens here. He says that, Lady, you're focusing on the location of worship and God focuses on true love. That is that truth and that spirit, that real worship that God desires, not where people worship. It's not about the right place. It's about the right person, Jesus Christ. So she, she's brought this up to try, to try to divert the whole thing. Now, I want to make this point. Before someone can get helped, they need to get honest. And Christ zeroes in on her need to come clean about her sin, about her life, and about her need for Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. So notice that he says in verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I may have left out 23. Let's, uh, let's see. No, 22. I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. Ye worship, ye know not what. 
That is, he's saying that the Samaritans were so off base, they had no idea how far off base they were. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. That is, the Jews had the Old Testament. They were looking for Messiah to come and so forth. For salvation is of the Jews. Now, by the way, if you're Hindu, Islamic, Buddhist, atheist, you're in Baha'i or whatever, Jesus Christ says, for salvation is of the Jews. That is, the Savior, as promised, would come through the Jewish people. So he doesn't say, yeah, y'all are right and we're right too. You know, everybody do your own thing. He doesn't say that. He points people back to the truth of the Bible and the fact that this, the Messiah would come through the Jewish people. I, I like that he does that because obviously that's true. Verse 23, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit, and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, wow, is He zeroing in now. Here's some more theological diversion, though. The woman saith unto Him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When He is come, he will tell us all things. And I want to paraphrase what I hear her saying here. She says, well, what, yeah, I know the Messiah, the Christ is going to come, uh, but he's not here yet. But when he comes, you know, he'll straighten all this out. He'll show who's right and who's wrong. I, that's kind of how I take that. Watch what Jesus does right here. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Whoa! For all the people that say Jesus never claimed to be Christ and Christ is equal to God, that Jesus never claimed to be God, you're wrong. John 4, 26. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And I'm here to tell you, friends, this is one of the clearest claims in the, in the Gospels that Christ makes, Jesus makes to being the Christ. He doesn't say that he's anything else but the Christ. I that speak unto thee am he. Oh boy, maybe she's starting to think right now. Woo, you know, is it getting hot in this room or what? Because now she can't evade this anymore. No more moral evasion, no more theological diversion, because right now she's going to have to make a decision. And right about now, spiritual comprehension begins to descend upon Miss Lonely Heart, the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. And this is not something she figured out this is not something that she worked up. It's something that the Holy Spirit did for her and revealed to her. That she is, in fact, talking to the promised Messiah, the promised Christ. Jesus is the one. So we see that she begins to move and we don't have all the details of how this happened, but right at this point, she moves from moral evasion to theological diversion to spiritual comprehension. She moves from misunderstanding to understanding. And this is, this is simply an amazing thing that a person cannot do for themselves as it says in John 3, the chapter before, the episode we did last week, she is being born again. She is being born from above by the Spirit of God because within her heart, she was responding out of her need and agreeing with Christ about her sin 
in her need for salvation for a Savior. Now she is given this spiritual comprehension. I read today of a, a very famous Australian politician. He was, I believe, the leader of the Labor Party in Australia for years. He was a governor general in Australia as well. His name is Bill Hayden. And at the age of 85, even though he had been pretty much a lifelong atheist, he turned his life over to Jesus Christ and surrendered for baptism. Yep, it happened. And the reason it happened is the same pattern. There must have been some moral evasion that he had plenty of theological diversion, but God gave him spiritual comprehension and he turned his life over to Jesus Christ. Wow. Listen, what's holding you back? Well, I'll tell you what's holding your, you back if you're not a Christian yet. You were born a sinner and you have done, like all of us, a billion sins and your sin is holding you back in unbelief. If you will cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord, God will give you the belief that you need. I heard today at church about a prominent attorney in a major city that is struggling with belief. But we all believe that that attorney is going to come to Christ because God is going to give him the gift of faith, the gift of belief, of turning from sin and placing his faith in Christ. Now, I don't even know who that is. I don't know his name. I, other than what I heard, I don't know anything else about him. But <laughs> maybe that's you and you're listening. You are coming to Christ, maybe even today. And it won't be too soon. Give your life to Jesus. So she's starting to realize the, the, the true fulfillment and true love that she's always tried to find in marriage but failed to find. This love is found in God. Love has a name and His name is Jesus Christ. And she is finally realizing before she can get help, she had to get honest. And she passed from death to life right here in these verses. Say, so, well, how do you know that, Ed? Aren't you assuming a lot? Well, actually, I've read the rest of the chapter. <laughs> Look at verse 27. Now, there's a little interruption here because you know what? Sometimes we as believers, we just we miss what God is doing. And sometimes we, we get in the way when we should just get out of the way. Well, the disciples kind of do this here because sometimes, and we're not better than them, we all focus too much on got to go to work, where are we going to eat, what time's a ball game come on tonight, all that kind of stuff. And God is in the business of saving people from hell so that they can be born again, have a relationship with Him, and live one day with Him forever in heaven. And we're, we get all weirded out on, on just the basic routines of life. So I'm not looking down on the disciples. They're better people than I'll ever be. But they're doing the same thing we do all the time. Watch what happens. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? So they just kind of barge in, and they're just kind of in the middle of this. Verse 28, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, I think the women wouldn't talk to her, <laughs> and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is this not 
Is not this the Christ? <coughs> Excuse me. Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So something happened in her. She, she passed from unbelief to belief. Because now she's, she's moved to a whole new level, and that is evangelical persuasion. She is, she is now seeking to influence others to believe what she believes about this Jesus who's waiting back at the well. Wow! The barriers to unbelief can be removed. And God can remove them in your life if you are being held back from belief in Christ. If you are already a Christian and you are sharing Christ with other people and there seem to be so many barriers... Just follow the example of Jesus and go to the root of the problem, the heart of the matter, and that's where it is, in the heart. You see, when people throw out theological issues, remember this, that a man's morality tends to dictate his theology. That is, if I'm not living in accordance with the Word of God, then I either have to like get in line with that, or I've got to explain it away or change it or deny it in some way. And Jesus cuts through all of that like a, like a laser right to the heart of the matter. And this woman responded in faith that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is God. Verse 30, Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So she must have been pretty persuasive. In the meanwhile, sort of like we say, meanwhile, back at the ranch, you know, in a Western, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. You know, Jesus is doing something else here because Jesus plays uh, like three-level chess while we're playing Chinese checkers or something. He is also using this to further disciple and train the disciples. So even though we often don't get it the first, second, third, fourth, 23rd time around, the Lord doesn't give up on us and he keeps working in us to bring us to understanding. So even though they are like completely clueless as to what is going on around them, he still loves them and works with them. So let's, let's see what happens. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught or you know anything brought him aught to eat like they still don't get it they're still locked down on who brought him a chick-fil-a while we were we were in the town buying food hath any man brought him aught to eat jesus saith unto them for the patience and love of christ amen because this is me right i do this all the time and so do you even if you're a Christian. Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. One commentator that I read years ago said that the Samaritan people wore white clothing. You know, it's a Middle Eastern area. It's very hot throughout the year, most of the year. And so maybe they were making their way to Jesus at the well. And maybe there was a large crowd or a long line dressed in white. And Jesus says, 
know, we can't prove this was what happened, but it, it could be. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He was talking about the people, the souls of those people that would live forever in eternity somewhere in heaven or hell. And he was trying to raise the vision and focus of the disciples from being worried literally about their lunch to being concerned spiritually about evangelism because they were about to have the opportunity to witness to all of these people about Jesus Christ. And they were very hardly prepared for this yet. But they're about to get into this. 36, And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. So Christ had sown the seed They didn't sow it. He did. And they are about to reap this great harvest of souls. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him, for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. Wow. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Wow! The barriers to belief can be shattered instantly when we give up our moral evasion, stop our theological diversion. God blesses us with spiritual comprehension And we move from misunderstanding to understanding, from unbelief to belief in Christ, from being lost to being saved. We move from darkness to light. But before you get helped, you must get honest about your sin and your need for Christ. When you do, you will discover to your joy and delight that it's all about the right person, Jesus Christ. It's not about worshiping in the right place. It's not about a location or ritual. It is about the love of God and a relationship with Him through Christ. That's person number one, Miss Lonely Heart, who's lonely no more. Let's look in verse 43 and see the second person. Now, after two days, he departed thence and went into Galilee. So he he continued that journey north. Now, by the way, I'm going to blow your minds. Do you know how far it was that he probably walked? Nearly 120 kilometers, 120 Ks, 120 clicks if you've been in the military. Wow. Jesus is intent on reaching people. Are we following the example of the Lord Jesus Christ? Verse 44, For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. So he leaves Judea, goes through Samaria, and goes into Galilee. Verse 45, Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came into Galilee, came into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. Remember that uh, in John 2, that miracle? If you you missed it, go back and listen to that episode. It will uh, definitely, definitely bless your heart. 
And there was a certain nobleman. Now, this is a, a government official. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. So Jesus is in Cana of Galilee, and the son is about 20 miles away in Capernaum. Well, why didn't he bring him? Well, his son was that sick. He couldn't be moved. It was just about the end for this nobleman's son. And I want to call the nobleman G-Man, <laughs> government man. So G-Man is so concerned about his son and loves his son so much that he doesn't just send servants. He walks 20 miles to where he hears that Jesus is in Cana of Galilee, leaving his son on his potential deathbed back at his home in Capernaum. Verse 47, When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So we see about G-Man here that he is he has belief to some extent but but more than that he's got some doubt some also some misunderstanding because we see in verse 47 he asked Jesus to come down with him back to Capernaum and heal the son and we see it again in verse 49 we haven't read that yet, but we'll see that. He had what I might call, in a kind of a silly way, a hokey-pokey belief. He had one foot in and one foot out. You know the hokey-pokey? <laughs> he had sort of a twilight kind of faith. You know, I, I, I believe in Jesus, but, you know, I'm not sure. And I, I know he can heal, but uh, he needs to come down there to heal him because, you know... I mean, that's what he needs to do. He can't do it from where he is. So there was a, a lot of... This guy was mixed up. But I will give him all the credit in the world for using the amount of belief that he had. He just didn't fully know who he was dealing with here. But he walks us 20 miles and basically says, Lord, come down with me back to Capernaum and heal my son because he's, he's on his deathbed. Verse 48, Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, he will not believe. Now I thought about what, what is the Lord getting at here? And I think what he's getting at is if the nobleman, if G-Man, had fully understood and fully believed in who Jesus was, then he would have just asked him to say the word and his son would be immediately healed at a distance from 20 miles away because Jesus is God and God can do things like that. Hey, listen, if God can speak the universe into existence out of nothing that we see, he can heal somebody with a word from 20 miles away. But G-Man didn't have this type of belief. But, like I said, I give him credit that he walked 20 miles to get Jesus to try to bring him back to Capernaum. Now, notice here, you say, well, aren't you being a little hard on G-Man? I don't think so. Verse 49. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ear, that is like before, Sir, come down ear, my child die. Like, Lord, don't you get it? You have to come back to Capernaum and we need to do this quick. I mean, it'll take hours to walk 20 miles. You, you've got to come now or my child is going to die. So we see here between these two verses that I, I'm not being too hard on him. He has some belief, but he had a lot more doubt and he had a tremendous amount of misunderstanding, just like Miss Lonely Heart that we've already seen. So what is Jesus going to do? Verse 50. 
Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. So we see that he moves from doubt to belief, a solid belief in Jesus Christ. Now, why do you say that? Well, verse 50, when Jesus commands him, go thy way, thy son liveth, it says, and the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. So, he, he, bam, he just realized this is God. I can trust everything Jesus tells me. And we see the result that it, when it says his whole house, this most likely includes the servants as well. So his whole family, all of his household staff, all came to faith in Jesus Christ that was a real saving faith. And we learn from this that true belief in Jesus shows itself in action based upon that true belief in Jesus. So what did he do? When it, when it hit him and he realized who Jesus was, he knew it was all going to be good. And he went home knowing that his son was healed. And... You know, I, I know that he knew that and he believed that, but it, it must have been something to experience the reality of what the servant said and to hug his son who was alive and well when he went home and share with everybody about Jesus Christ. Listen, we've reached the end of this episode and maybe that bam has happened to you. Bam, just like Miss Lonely Heart. You are feeling the immense desire from God to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Bam! Just like G-Man. You are, you are now overwhelmed with a sense of belief in Jesus Christ that He is the Messiah. He is the promised Christ. He is the promised Savior. He Himself is God. The Word made flesh come to be our Savior, to be your Savior, and you will call now upon the Lord Jesus Christ, turning from your sin, receiving what Jesus did on the cross, to pay the penalty of your sin, so that it's forgiven and paid for, and you will not have to pay for it as if you ever could yourself that you have the new life of God flowing in your life. You are now forgiven. You are born again by the Spirit. You are a son or daughter of God. You are now royalty in the royal family of King Jesus. You are saved because, bam, just like Miss Lonely Heart, just like G-Man, you are trusting Christ today. Call upon Him now as your Savior and Lord and be saved and enter into the most wonderful experience of your entire life and know that when your last breath is drawn on this earth, you will awake in heaven to live forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God for what's happened to so many of you today. And to those of you who are already part of the family of God, I pray that this is inspiring you to be with the power of the Spirit and God working through you, 
that you will be a, a mouthpiece, a tool, yea, a weapon in the mighty hands of God to tell people about Christ that they might pass from death unto life like Miss Lonely Heart and G-Man. Thank you so much for listening today. It is my privilege, my, my honor, my pleasure to bring the Word of God to you every week in this podcast. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. Pray for those that have just trusted Christ as their Savior and Lord. If you've just done that, reach out to me at pastoredhill at gmail.com and tell me how you came to faith in Christ. We wouldn't use your name, of course, but we might share your story on our podcast. Please let family and friends, even your enemies, know about This Week in the Word. They can find it at www.dredhill.podbean.com. That's D-R, no period after the D-R, D-R-E-D-H-I-L-L dot podbean dot com. That is the home of This Week in the Word. I think if we've not been banned, you can still find us on iTunes and Google Play. But the simplest thing to do is just type www.dredhill.podbean.com in the browser. You'll be right there. Download the app and listen whenever you want to to This Week in the Word. Please share it with others. You may be the, the avenue through whom they hear about Christ and enter into eternal life. Thank you so much for being with us today. God bless you. We'll be preparing our next episode of Behold Your God from the Gospel of John. Thank you and God bless you. This week is my prayer.